Welcome to the Faithbridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Duffy Robbins and was recorded on Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at Faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called Faithbridge Live at faithbridge.org live. Here's Duffy. All right, good morning, Faithbridge. How you doing? Good to see everybody this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Those of us here in the auditorium, uh, over in the communion service, and those of you who are joining us online, delighted to have you with us here at Faith Bridge. Uh, I, I, I think I mentioned it several years ago, but, but one of the highest honors uh, that could be bestowed upon anybody uh, when I was in second grade uh, was to come up to the front of the class. It's the last honor I won, be patient. But uh, anyway, uh, I, uh, I, I was invited to come up to the front of the class and, and lead the class in the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. This was a big deal at Pinewood Elementary School in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I remember, uh, because my last name begins with R, Robbins, I had to wait until you know, mid to late September before finally, finally my name was called and, uh, and, and I can still remember Mrs. Wilson uh, saying, okay, David, would you come up here and, and leave the class? And, and in that moment, it was just this, this, this sense of, of, of destiny and, and awe. I mean, I'm just, I, was just over, I, was, I, I was overwhelmed. I, I imagine this massive American flag waving behind me majestically and, you know, bombs bursting in air and rockets red glare and ramparts. I didn't know what those were, but, but I just thought, you know what, this, this is, I mean, I'm looking at my second grade classmates going, these are my people. <laughs> and then it hit me, um, Duffy, you don't know the pledge of allegiance <laughs> to the flag. Uh, of course, the great thing about being a little kid, you may remember this, when you were a child, you don't know stuff like that. You just fake it, Right. You make up stuff that sounds like the real thing. It's like, like when you're in church and all the adults stand up and they're saying what seems like important stuff and you want to get in on it. So you go, look, our father who art in New Haven. How do you know my name? Right. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. You know, you, you just don't, you just don't know. And so I, I figure, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll pull it off. In fact, I, I remember one of the, one of the classic examples of this, my daughters and I, uh, this happened several years ago, it was Christmas, we were in together in the car and, uh, and, and I love that when we're in this car together, the only station we agree on is the oldies station. Uh, and I love to sing along to the oldies. The problem is <laughs> I don't know the words to the oldies, which drives them nuts. And, uh, and they do know the words to the oldies, which drives me nuts. And, uh, but I just sing along heartily. And if I don't know a word, I just make up stuff that sounds like the, the, you know, the real thing. And this was, as I say, it was probably five, six, seven years ago. I don't remember. But we were in the car. I knew the song was by the Beatles. And I knew it was from either the Sgt. Pepper album or the White album. But this was embarrassing. They had to actually explain to me the correct lyrics were the girl with kaleidoscope eyes. I was singing, the girl with colitis goes by. Like, I, 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 just a, a, a wonderful song about a young woman with the disease of the colon. And, and they're going, oh, yeah, that's just, that's just gross. But, but the great thing about when you're a little kid and you fake it, you figure people are believing it. You know, you just pull it off. And so I stand up there and I don't remember what I said, but I'm in second grade. I'm looking at my classmates and I'm kind of going, I mean, you know the drill. It's like, 
I led the pigeons to the flag <laughs> of the 19 states of America and to the Republicans for which it stands. My dad says, no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> One nation on guard, like invisible. I mean, by the time this thing was over, the kids loved it. It was kind of a Spider-Man version of the Pledge of Allegiance. In fact, the next day, a kid stood up and did the real thing. He said, no, we want Duffy's. It was awesome. The funny thing is we would go through this. We'd do this day after day, week after week, month after month. We'd stand at the right time and make the right sounds, kind of go through the motions. But I don't, I don't really know if any of us had a clue what it meant to make a Pledge of Allegiance what it meant to make any kind of pledge or leaders. The more we continue our, our ongoing story in the book of Acts, week after week here at Faith Bridge, uh, we're beginning to understand, aren't we, what it meant for the early church to make to God a genuine pledge of allegiance. And, and, and what it might mean for us here at Faith Bridge, not just to go through the motions, not just to stand at the right time and show up at the right time and sing at the right time and sit down at the right time, but to actually make to the living God a genuine pledge of allegiance. And there are few places in the book of Acts where this is more vivid than it is in the passage we're going to study this morning. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, these good folks coming down the aisle will be happy to give you one. Just put your hand in the air. And, uh, and by all means, uh, just uh, accept this as a gift from your friends here at Faith Bridge. Acts chapter 5. Our focus this morning is on a, a fascinating drama played out over the course of 30 verses in Acts chapter 5. It begins in verse 12 and runs all the way to Acts chapter 5 verse 42 at the end of the chapter. So uh, it's a fairly lengthy uh, passage. In fact, we probably won't get out of here till about 4 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, um, it is full of drama. And, uh, and, and fascinating detail. What I'm going to try to do this morning uh, is sort of a, a Cliff Notes a version of the passage. So I hope you'll go back and, and, and read the entire section for yourself. But this morning, we're going to sort of use a, a skim, stop, and study approach because we want to see what Acts chapter 5 can teach us about what it means to make to God a genuine pledge of allegiance. So let's... Uh, Let's jump in here. If, um, if, if Netflix, if Netflix were going to make a miniseries of this episode in Mark chapter, uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, it, it might come as a story told in four uh, distinct episodes. Uh, in episode number one, chapters uh, 5, verses 12 to 16, Luke sort of sets the stage by describing an amazing work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus' apostles. From what we can tell in uh, verse 12, uh, the apostles would uh, teach and testify on a daily basis in Jerusalem in a section of the temple known as Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico. And don't you love that word portico? I mean, I always thought it sounded like a car, like a cool, like Solomon's portico. And I mean, you, you, I don't know, you, you can almost imagine uh, the apostles pulling up to the temple, you know, in this candy apple red uh, portico and... Uh, Actually, uh, Solomon's portico is, is really nothing more than a long porch. It's a part of the temple complex. Sometimes uh, it's referred to as uh, Solomon's colonnade. But the, the apostles apparently would go there on a daily basis 
and teach and heal in the name of Jesus. And, and, and God is working. God is working there. Uh, people are being freed from unclean spirits. Uh, uh, sick people are being healed. Lives are being changed. Uh, literally, some people are healed just because Peter's shadow fell on them as he walked by. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And, and folks were pouring into town because they wanted to witness uh, this stuff for themselves. In, in fact, um, it's, it's sort of intriguing in verse 14, uh, we read that uh, more than ever, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And, and it's kind of funny because the, um, the text actually tells us in verse 13 that on the one hand, um, there was this genuinely positive vibe about what was going on. People uh, held the apostles in high esteem. Uh, but at the same time, people were, were sort of afraid, uh, you know, to get too close. It's sort of like the guys uh, who, uh, you know, fire off the, the fireworks at the 4th of July. You, you want to get close because this is an amazing spectacle and you want to see it. On the other hand, uh, you don't want to get too close because you realize, uh, you know, there's power here. This, is, this stuff is explosive. In fact, it's interesting in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 36, Luke tells us that when people saw Jesus's ministry, uh, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And, and the Greek word that is used there for power is the word dunamis. Dunamis is the word from which we get our word dynamite. So what the people were witnessing day after day there in Acts chapter 5 was, was spiritual dynamite. God was breaking down barriers, moving mountains. And, and you see this over and over uh, in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Acts. Luke, the writer, keeps using the word megas, megas, great. He talks about great power, great grace, great sin. Uh, great judgment, and we saw this last week with Ananias and Sapphira, uh, great fear, great fear. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's like Mr. Beaver, uh, you know, who told the children when they first walked into Narnia. Uh, remember this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, they, they, the kids, the children were hearing about this great lion, Aslan, who is, of course, the Christ figure in the story. But they were worried because Aslan didn't sound uh, safe. And I love Mr. Beaver's solemn response to the children. He says, of course he isn't safe. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And, and it's just such a long way from, from kind of our culture, isn't it, where we've managed to kind of turn Easter into baby chicks and bunny rabbits. Uh, I mean, we need to understand God God will not be tamed and, and domesticated to fit into our little uh, safe boxes. He's, he's good. He's very good. But he's not safe. He's not safe. And these folks who witnessed his power and heard the apostles teaching uh, each day in the portico, they, they could see that. And, 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 and frankly, uh, and that's probably something we need to think about this morning because there are very likely some of us uh, right here in this room who uh, are maybe watching online even who, who feel that, that, that same sense of uneasiness or fear when you think about really giving your life 
to Jesus, to make to him a pledge of allegiance. Maybe you're kind of like the townspeople uh, there at Solomon's Portico. You, you, you've shown up even here today. Or you've uh, you know, joined our live worship on, online because, because you, 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 know, you feel like God might be doing something in your life or you know you need God to do something in your life, but there's still just that little gap of, of fear that keeps you from really joining in to what God is doing. And the problem is, it's one thing to admire the Lord from a safe distance, but it's another thing altogether to be added to the Lord, to be added to the multitude of those who believe. And it's not until you finally, you finally take that, that risky step of, of commitment that you discover, yeah, yeah, um, living for Jesus isn't always safe, but he's so good. But he's, he's so good. And the closer you get to him, the closer you want to get to him. Unfortunately, it's that powerful life-changing dynamic in verses 12 to 16 that causes a firestorm in verses 17 to 21. Uh, episode number two, that's where we read about uh, an arrest and the great escape. Um, in a jealous rage, the high priest... Uh, and, and leading members of the Sadducees arrest the apostles and, and throw them in a public prison. And let me just explain. You probably already know this. But if you don't, the Sadducees were, were pretty much the religious uh, aristocrats of their day. They were, they were politically powerful. Uh, they were well connected to the ruling powers in Rome. They had very special uh, parking places just outside the temple where they could put their camels and their porticos. And, uh, and, but this is kind of interesting. This is kind of interesting. Despite their being religious, they didn't believe pretty much in anything supernatural. Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. Sadducees didn't, they thought angels were a hoax. Uh, and, and they certainly didn't believe in resurrection or, or life after death, which uh, as the old joke goes, is why they were sad, you see. Uh, in any case, they, they, they just had no intention of being upstaged by Jesus. It wasn't gonna happen. Or his apostles. So they had the apostles arrested and thrown into a public jail. And when you hear public jail, uh, think a place where they could be locked up, but where they could be seen by the public. In other words, they wanted to maximize the humiliation of the apostles. The Sadducees wanted to send a message to God, uh, to, to Jesus, to the apostles, to the townspeople, that, that they were the big dogs. They were the big dogs in town. But a funny thing happened that night when the apostles were locked up. Um, you remember those uh, angels that the Sadducees didn't believe in? Well, in verse 19, the scripture tells us, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought the apostles out of the prison. And he gave them some instructions. Verse 20, he said, go and, and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, this life. And Luke tells us, listen to this, verse 21, when they heard this, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak, at daybreak and began to teach. Now, now, many women, that's what you call a genuine pledge of allegiance. When push comes to shove, uh, ignore the big dogs and obey the big God. And, and notice there wasn't a whole lot of caution here. 
Like they, they didn't have to pray about this. They, they didn't sit around and debate it. They didn't, they didn't form a committee. The very next morning at daybreak, at daybreak, people, they entered the temple and began to teach. How many of you, just quick inventory, how many of you are morning people? How many of you are morning people? Yeah, that's why you came to the second service. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it, I get it. Uh, 55% of us uh, in surveys report that we at, are at our best before noon. We're at our best, 55% of us, we're at our best before noon. More women than men, uh, by the way. Uh, but it's interesting, only 29% of people between the ages of 18 to 29 years old uh, say they are at their best in the morning. They're better. How, just how many 18 to 29 year olds do we have in the house today? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so for example, you would probably uh, want to uh, go to the portico for the night shift. Uh, but but, but the, the text is, is pointing us here to a basic principle of the Christian life. And the basic principle of this, if God tells you to go, you go. If God tells you to go, you go. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's what it means to make a genuine pledge of allegiance. The apostles were back at that very temple the very next morning by daybreak. And that's where we move to episode three of our drama, verses 21 to 26. The very next morning, uh, when the council officials have gathered along with the Senate there of Israel, guards are sent out to the prison uh, to bring the apostles up for their, their trial. But that's when things get a little bit uh, comical. Um, you remember that, uh, you remember that classic scene in The Sound of Music when um, they're announcing the winner of the talent show, the talent competition, and this Nazi officer comes out on stage and he announces the Von Trapp family singers. Remember that? And, uh, only to discover uh, that the Von Trapp family singers have so longed and farewelled their way right out of Austria. <laughs> Well, this is the same story. Right here again, Acts chapter 5, verse 22, look at the text. The guards are sent to the prison to bring the apostles out for their trial. But the prison guards announced, um, okay, the prisoners have like disappeared. Uh, the prisoners have disappeared. And which, as you can imagine, uh, is a major downer for everybody. Most of all, the Sadducees, because, well, remember, they don't believe in miracles. And, and think about this. The text actually tells us in verse 23 that the prison doors are still securely locked and the guards are still standing at the door. And then it, as if all that weren't bad enough, that's when somebody reports to the council in verse 25, um, okay, guys, <clears throat> we, have, we have tracked down uh, the escapees, the prisoners. Uh, they're back at the temple preaching again, teaching in the name of Jesus, talking about the life, which of course really, really gets the Sadducees upset because now they thought they had the apostles shut up and they showed up and, and, uh, and now they're teaching about Jesus again down at the temple. It's, it's funny. You know what it reminds me? Has anybody here ever tried to, to catch a squirrel in your attic, to get squirrels out of your attic? Yeah, uh, it's, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. Just when you think you've got it, they, they, they come back. You just can't do it. At this point in the story, the apostles have kind of become squirrels in the Sadducees' attic. 
they, they, how in the world are we going to get rid of these pests? And it's that question that brings us to the fourth and final episode of the story, verses 27 to 42. With the news of the prisoners are back at it, um, the captain of the temple and his guards are dispatched to go, you know, go down and arrest the apostles again. Although Luke tells us in verse 26 that they avoid using any force this time because by this time the apostles are, are so widely admired by the townspeople, the captain and the guards are afraid the people would stone them, which is a little ironic since the temple authorities would like nothing better than to stone the apostles. But as it turns out, the captain and the temple guards with all their power and muscle, they're the ones running scared. When they finally get the apostles back before the council, as you can imagine, the high priest by this time is, is fit to be tied. And he told Peter and the apostles in verse 28, look, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. He doesn't want to mention Jesus's name. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And it's at this point that Peter and the apostles make this classic, classic pledge of allegiance. Verse 29. Well, you know what? We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him, which of course now this is the final straw. Luke tells us in, in verse 33 that the authorities are just enraged uh, and they want to kill Peter and the apostles. And, and had it not been for the wise and uh, prudent advice of a well-respected uh, Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, they, they probably would have. But instead, Luke reports in verse 40 that the council had them severely beaten, probably using the standard 39 lashes with what was called a Roman flagellum. It's kind of like a, a whip with a cat of nine tails. Uh, each leather strap had, uh, had stones and, and sharp metal objects attached to it. It was, it was a brutal form of punishment. But then, before letting the apostles go, they told them in no uncertain terms, never again speak in the name of Jesus. Never again speak in the name of Jesus. But this is the part I love. Instead of crawling out of there, beaten and defeated, Luke writes, verse 41, the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Wow. What a, what a remarkable end of this amazing story. The Sadducees expect to see the apostles kind of slink away, hang dog and defeat, but the apostles are rejoicing because they know this, this is a story of, of victory. The Sadducees are thinking, okay, that, that's the end of that. But the disciples are thinking, this 
is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. What I think makes this, this passage so powerful on this Palm Sunday morning is that it leaves us face to face with a critical and unavoidable question that all of us, all of us, whether you're watching online, whether you're in the communion service, whether you're here in this auditorium, all of us should think hard about this week. And the question is, what happened to these guys? What, what, what happened to these men? You go, what do you mean? Well, I mean, one of the most remarkable uh, elements of this story is, is the way we see the disciples, all of them, but especially Peter, stepping up and boldly bearing witness for Jesus, even in the face of beatings and hostility and imprisonment. I mean, just, just go back. And, and think about the way these very same disciples lived out their commitment to Jesus during the week leading up to Good Friday. We know they fell asleep when he asked him to pray with them in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter cuts off a guy's ear when the temple guards come to arrest Jesus. They all pretty much scatter when Jesus is arrested, uh, except for Peter and maybe John. And Peter hangs around just long enough to deny three times that he's ever heard of Jesus. I mean, think of the contrast. It's, it's stunning. The last time we saw Peter in the temple compound, he was denying he knows Jesus. Now they can't get him to shut up. What an amazing 180. What, what, a, what a stunning about face. How in the world do we explain this? And I think the most plausible explanation is that Peter and the other apostles have had an encounter with Jesus who was crucified, dead, and buried, and then rose again from the dead. I mean, it's virtually impossible to come up with a rational explanation for why these men, scared, scattered, and discouraged, were now willing to bear high-stakes testimony in one of the highest courts in the land to the very Jesus they had previously abandoned, it makes no sense unless Jesus rose from the dead. Unless Jesus rose from the dead. Wishful thinking, that doesn't really explain it. A, a mirage, no thanks. A, a, how about a flimsy rumor? No, no. What Peter says in verse 32, we were witnesses. We were witnesses of these things and that changed everything. You go, well, okay, Duffy, but, but what does that have to do with us here this morning? What does it have to do with those of us who are, who are joining online? What, what, what does that matter to us? Well, first of all, uh, if you are a believer, if you're a person whose life has been changed like Peter and the apostles by the resurrected Christ, it, it, it should motivate us to say, man, man, I've got to, I've got to get my friend to, to our Easter service next Sunday. Uh, I've, I've got to bring the people in my office. I've got, got to talk to the guys on the team. I want to talk to my buddies in, in school. Uh, I, I want to talk to the women in my group. Uh, I, we, I need to invite them to be a part of this Easter service because, because maybe, maybe they could meet the risen Christ and, 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 and God could change their life. God could expose them to his explosive power and his life-changing love. Maybe, maybe if you're a believer here, that's what it means for you. 
But I hope there are some of you here today who maybe you're going, well, um, I came this morning, but I, I don't know if I really believe in Jesus. In fact, I'm not even sure I really want to believe in Jesus. Frankly, I'll be honest. I'd sort of like to let another Easter just kind of come and go and with Instagram posts, you know, about uh, new outfits and painted eggs and, and reverent conversation about the Masters Golf Tournament. <laughs> One of the biggest questions, if that's you, that you have got to come to terms with, if you want to hold on to any intellectual honesty, is what happened to these men? What happened to these men? How do you account for the life change in them? What happened to these men? And then this question, could it, by God's grace, happen to me? Could it happen to me? How did they get from scared to speak to prepared to die? It's hard to deny. The most reasonable, rational explanation is that these men had an encounter with the resurrected and living Jesus. And in light of what they had seen, in light of what they had heard, they had made an unshakable, unstoppable pledge of allegiance to the living God. We, we don't really know um, for sure how Peter finally died. Uh, there, there's widespread agreement that he was eventually crucified by the authorities in Rome. And tradition tells us that he was actually crucified upside down at his request, uh, because having denied Jesus, uh, he, he didn't feel he deserved the honor of dying uh, in the same way as his savior. Well, we don't really know for sure. What we do know for sure is that Peter, Peter never lost that sense of wonder and gratitude that he had seen and heard and met and embraced the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ. I want you to listen to what Peter wrote shortly before he died. First Peter chapter four, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Men and women, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to make to God a genuine pledge of allegiance. I believe that this is precisely the decision that God wants some of us to make here today. I suppose it's quite possible that, that you have come to Faith Bridge on a regular basis, maybe for a long time, or maybe you're here for the first time today. Maybe you're joining us online, but, um, but you kind of believe, I mean, you're curious, sort of like the townspeople there in Jerusalem, you admire Jesus, but you've been unwilling to fully embrace him, to fall before him as, as leader and savior and, 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 and take the risk of making that genuine pledge of allegiance. I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you this morning to make that decision. And I'm quite sure there are some of us here today who who don't know Jesus at all. But here's the great news. Here's the backstory that makes this whole 
story come alive is that the real Pledge of Allegiance here was not by Peter, not the apostles. The real Pledge of Allegiance was made by a living God who so loved the world. Even when we turn away from him, even when we rebel him against him, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son Jesus to die on our behalf. He made a Pledge of Allegiance, died on our behalf. Why? Because all of us, just like those, just like those apostles, we're, we, 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 we are trapped in our cells of sin and selfishness. And, and it takes the explosive power of God to blow us out of there. And so Jesus died on the cross. And by shedding his blood, he paid the debt of death that we owe for our sin. So that like the apostles, we can walk out of those cells scot-free. And he who is free in the Son free indeed why not make this the first Easter that you get to really see and hear and experience the living Christ let's pray Lord I uh, I know that in this moment it's so easy to uh, just go through the motions stand at the right time sing at the right time walk out at the right time but God deliver us God deliver us from taming and domesticating this powerful, amazing, loving, risky, dangerous God. I pray that right now in these next few moments that you would move amongst this group and that you would bring us to a place where we might say, Lord, I, I, need, I need to talk to you. I need to make a commitment to you. I need to know you. Lord, we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.